Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's Focus on Our Sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. It's wonderful to be with you, to share some ideas and to learn some Torah together. Today is the 15th of Sivan. It's actually my Hebrew birthday, so it's a special day for me. Um, it also is this day, the 15th of Sivan, is the birth and Yotzeit of Yehuda, the great uh, patriarch, uh, one of the Shvatim, one of the 12 tribes, the fourth son of Yaakov and Leah Yehuda. So on this day, the 15th of Sivan, he was born, and on this day, he died. And Yehuda means to acknowledge, to thank. So and that's where the word Jew comes from. So our function and role in this world is to thank Hashem for the wonderful blessings that he pours upon us, that he showers upon us, that we all enjoy in our lives. And there's just so much blessing everywhere. And that really is the primary role of a Jew in this world is to sing praise to Hashem. Shiru la Hashem, shir chadash. We sing a new song to Hashem. And tov lachodes la Hashem, David Amelech teaches us. Indeed, it's good to thank Hashem and praise Hashem. That is one of the great accomplishments and achievements of a Jew in this world, is to see Hashem's blessings, to thank Hashem for those blessings, and to live a life aware and cognizant and grateful for the magnificent blessings that Hashem blesses all of us with. And we don't have to look very far to see those blessings. Um, we see it in our incredible, magnificent, exquisite functioning of the human body and the complicated and vast aspects of every limb and of every part um, of every organ that is part of our existence of our body, which is just miraculous, nothing short of miraculous. Um, and the world itself is miraculous. The existence of life in this world is miraculous. And it's not by chance or coincidence. It's all the planning, the design, and the execution of Hashem. And therefore, our role as human beings, as mere mortals, is to acknowledge the Creator and live a life of appreciation, of awareness, and of being thankful and singing praises to the Creator. And when one lives such a life and sees the blessing and the beauty, it gives one a sense of awe, a sense of joy, a sense of fulfillment, a sense of appreciation, which is it's a beautiful way to live. So the Torah wants us to be happy beings and to be positive beings and to see the good that is around us. And when we do that, so it makes the content of our life so much more pleasant and so much more joyful. And fulfilling. Um, yesterday, the 14th of Sivan, was actually the Yotzeit of Rav Chaim of Velozhe. So we do like in our show to talk about the great sages within the Jewish people within Klal Israel. And Rav Chaim Velozhe was one of our greatest sages. Rav Chaim was the founder of the Velozhe Yeshiva. And the Velozhe Yeshiva was the mother of all Yeshivas. Rav Chaim was born in the year 1749 in the town of Velozhen in Lithuania. And he um, was a Talmud of the Vulnagon. 
and the Goan died in 1797. But the Goan had instructed his Talmudic student, Reb Chaim, that he should, um, he should actually develop a new system of education within the Jewish world, within the Jewish people. And that system of education would incorporate an institution. Up until that point, the way Jewish education worked was that um, all the children would go to Cheda, and only those that were prodigies, that were very smart and stood out, would continue after their bar mitzvah um, to learn with the rabbi of the town. And the rabbi of the town would select those um, few great minds and would then nurture them and um, teach them and um, train them in the study of Torah, and they themselves would become great Talmudei Chachamim and great leaders of Klai Yisrael. But Rav Chaim saw, the, the, firstly the Volagon saw, and he um, impressed this upon his great Talmud Rav Chaim, that the Jewish world was changing, and that the ability of a family to pass down the tradition and the uh, and and uh, of the system to for it to be perpetuated would mean that the um, Torah perhaps would be lost. It was becoming difficult to continue with the situation, and the Goan realized that there was a need for um, education on a higher level in a more institutionally based way, um, and only that would be able to face up with the winds of change that were blowing in Europe in the 18th century. And so he said to Reb Chaim that he should set up such an educational institution and it should be focused on training the future leaders of Klai Israel and it would attract the best minds of Lithuanian Jewry. And five years after the Goen, Reb Chaim um, went to ask him a number of times whether the time was right, but the Goen said no. And then after he had passed away, towards the end of his life, he indicated to Reb Chaim that he should go ahead. It took Reb Chaim some time, and he eventually set up the Velozhin Yeshiva in 1803. And Velozhin then became the mother of all Yeshivas, and it became the um, the guide, the, the, the landmark, the yardstick of Torah education in Eastern Europe. And it educated, the, the yeshiva had to sadly close in 1897, was closed down by the communists, by the Russians. Um, it wasn't the communists, yes, it was the Tsar. The Tsar closed them down um, uh, before the communist revolution. But in that century, in, in the 19th century, it succeeded in, as we mentioned, attracting the best Jewish minds in Lithuania. Um, because at the time, you couldn't go, a Jew couldn't go to university. Jews were not allowed into university in Eastern Europe. And so um, the greatest Jewish minds, the only real place for them to develop and to apply their brilliance was in this environment in, in Yeshiva Belozhin, and it produced the outstanding leaders of the Jewish world. And these people that were fortunate enough to be in Belozhin, they then went back to their towns and they started their own yeshivas. And so the yeshiva movement was born, mother of it being the Velozhin yeshiva, and then the many other great yeshivot that opened were from the students that had studied in Velozhin. And therefore, the Jewish world today would not be where it is without the Velozhin yeshiva, without this great shift that the Goan saw and that was carried out by Talmud Reb Chaim of Velozhin. Um, Reb Chaim wrote a very classic sefer called Nefesh Chaim, 
which is uh, described as the Kabbalistic work, describing the importance of Torah study and how Torah study and mitzvah observance bring a Jew close to God. He also authored Ruach Chaim and Ishmas Chaim, was one of the great Jews of the 19th century, and his contribution to Klai Israel is very much felt even to this day for all of the great yeshivas that exist in the world are really offshoots and continuations of the great yeshiva of Velazhin. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. So let's continue to talk about some interesting things together. Um, we discussed Reb Chaim Velozhin. His yotzeit was yesterday on the 14th of Sivan. Reb Chaim died in the year 1821. So it is exactly 200 years um, yesterday since the passing of Reb Chaim, the 200th yotzeit. And certainly is a day is uh, something that's significant. And uh, what an incredible human being who had a massive impact on the Jewish people. That 200 years later, we still feel the effects of his tremendous efforts and contribution. There's a beautiful um, number of lessons I'd like to share with you that we saw in last week's Pasha, last week, Pasha's Nasa, which is the longest Pasha in the Torah, 176 psukim, 176 verses. And in Nasa, we see a fascinating thing. The Torah tells us about the inauguration of the Mishkan, the completion of the building of the Mishkan, of the sanctuary um, that God commanded the Jewish people to build in the desert. And the at the uh, inauguration of the Mishkan, so all of the tribal leaders came forward and brought offerings in appreciation for the, the momentous occasion of the inauguration of the sanctuary. And the Torah tells us the order. So remember, there were 12 tribes. The Torah tells us that the first person who was selected was Nachshon ben Aminadav. Nachshon ben Aminadav was from Shevet Yehuda, from the tribe of Yehuda, whose Yotzal is today. So the, the leader of the tribe of Yehuda was Nachshon, and he went first. The Orachan explains why did he go first, because um, he found favor in the eyes of Hashem. Hashem very much um, uh, saw greatness in Nachshon. And Orachim says, why? Because he was a very humble individual. As we know, Moshe Rabbeinu was the most humble individual that walked the face of the earth. And following the footsteps of Moshe Rabbeinu was Nachshon. And that uh, brought great favor in Hashem's eyes. And therefore, Hashem instructed Moshe to take the korban, the sacrifice, the offering of Nachshon first. Um, and that's why, interestingly enough, the, in all the other 11, it says Nasi, which means the tribal head, and it lists their name. Um, but by Nachshon, it doesn't say Nasi, because that was a hint to us of his humility and therefore his uh, preference, therefore his status as going first because of his humility. And then second up was who? So now we would expect perhaps the one second up would be Ruvain. Ruvain was the firstborn of Yaakov and Leah. It was Yaakov's first child, and therefore we'd expect him, the Bechor, to go next. Okay, he couldn't go first because um, Nachshon was favored by Hashem because of his humility. So now next should come Ruven. And Ruven stepped forward. And the Midrash tells us, brought by Rashi, 
that Moshe Rabbeinu says to Reuven, hang on a minute. Hashem has given me the order. And next in line is not you, but rather it's Nasanel ben Suar of the tribe of Yisachar. Um, why Nasanel ben Suar? So Rashi quotes the Midrash that explains for two reasons why Nasanel came second and was chosen. The first one was because the tribe of Yisachar was renowned for its Torah learning. They were all very well educated and all put in um, a lot of effort in terms of their Torah learning. And that, as a Jew, is an important thing, is a great thing, is something that we should all um, uh, put great effort into, and that is the learning of Torah. And the reason is because by learning Torah, we connect to Hashem. By learning Torah, we are part of Hashem's reality and Hashem's word to the world and Hashem's description of life and 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 um, what Hashem wants of us. By learning Torah, we connect to Har Sinai, to Mount Sinai, and to those incredible um, events that really changed the greatest event in the history of the world. So cataclysmic was Mohammed Har Sinai that the world has been transformed completely as a result. And so by learning Torah, we connect ourselves to that, and we connect ourselves to the word of Hashem. And so since the tribe of Yisachar was connecting to Hashem through learning Torah, that was something that was very much in their favor. And secondly, the Midrash says, the reason why Yisachar was chosen was because Yisachar, uh, so the, the leader of the tribe of Yisachar was Nasanel bin Sur. Nasanel said, well, look, Nashon has gone. Nashon has brought this korban, this sacrifice, and what korban should we all bring, the rest of us? The rest of Klal Yisrael. So, um, what would and most likely have been, if it weren't for Nasano, was that each person that followed would have to, um, better and improve on the person before. Each person would have to, uh, partake in a case of one-upmanship in terms of their, um, competition with one another. So you couldn't be um, do less than the person before you, you would have to outdo the person before, and so it would escalate and cause a lot of jealousy. So in order to prevent a, such a situation of competition and jealousy within Klai Israel, Nasanel ben Suar said to all of his fellow tribal heads, to his colleagues, he said, let's all bring the same korban that Nachshon brought, rather than having to enter into a situation of jealousy and competition between each other. And they all agreed and because he did so, because he came up with that idea, so he was, um, that also was very much favorable in the eyes of Hashem. And as a result, um, for those two reasons, that's why he was chosen to go second. The Chovetz Chaim explains it. He says, because Hashem wants there to be peace, peace, and wants there be, to be harmony within Klai Yisrael. Hashem wants us to live, um, as one big family, the Jewish people, are one body, Knesset Israel. We're all linked and we're all part of a people whose ancestors stood at Har Sinai, at Mount Sinai. That defines us as the Jewish people, is that we are God's people that heard God speak at Mount Sinai. And we are all connected and we all have an important, critical, vital role to play in God's world. And God very much, as every parent, what does a parent want um Greatly from his family, parents get so much nachas 
Uh, there's no greater source of nachas for a parent than when the parents' children get on. The children love each other and treat each other with dignity and respect and are close to one another. Uh, the parent wants shalom with their children. And Hashem is our parent. Hashem is our father. And Hashem wants us as his children to love each other and to treat each other with respect and with dignity. And the Chobot Chaim says that, Chobot Chaim Torah says that's why um, Nasanu was chosen second because he came up with the, uh, with the understanding and the idea that everybody should bring the same korban and it shouldn't be a case of one upmanship and everybody competing with one another and creating a situation of jealousy. And that's, um, he actually says the Chobot Chaim a beautiful thing. He says that, um, we don't know which of the mitzvahs of, Hashem wants us to keep the Torah and all the mitzvahs, of course, we know that. But we don't know which of the character traits um, that the Torah tells us we should be working on and perfecting um, are more valuable than the others. We don't know, but says the Chovetz Chaim, the Nevim, the prophets know. The prophets have an insight into the eternal spiritual worlds, and they understand from God's perspective. They have, that's what that insight brings them. And the prophet Amos said that Hashem wants Klai Yisrael to live b'mishpat in a uh, ra- righteous way, a life of justice and of fairness, and wants us to have avas chesed, the love of kindness. We should be involved in acts of kindness every day, and we should love, we should pursue acts of kindness. We should love them, and we should live in a fair and honest way. That's what Hashem wants of us. So, says the Navi told us that. And so, we see that these kind of, of choices that we make, that bring about that are choices of kindness to bring about fairness and bring about peace within the Jewish people are very much favored by Hashem. And that's why, uh, that's why Nasana was chosen second. So we three, see three very powerful messages from the order of the, um, Nasim. First one is we are all to be humble and live a life of humility. And if we do what I mentioned in the beginning, that today is the Yotzat and the birthday of Yehuda, and Yehuda is the name Jew, and that means to thank. If we learn to thank Hashem and see the blessings of Hashem in our lives and see how powerful Hashem is and how Hashem controls the world and how we are the recipients of Hashem's tremendous kindness and how limited we are as human beings, as mere mortals, as we all know and see, if we just open our eyes. And when we see life from that perspective, so then, of course, we would be humbled by Hashem's greatness and Hashem's power and our the the limited nature of a human being and human life and whatever achievements we may have achieved and whatever we have done in our lives, we thank Hashem for giving us life and giving us those opportunities and giving us the abilities to achieve what we've achieved. But it's within a very healthy perspective of seeing Hashem's omnipotence in the world and that, therefore, the the uh, byproduct or the consequence of that is humility. He's living a life of humility. So that's the first thing that Nachshon had that perspective and lived with humility like Moshe did and that brought him um, greatness and we see the learning of Torah and all Jews should be engaged in the learning of Torah preferably every day but at least three times a week. That's our connection to Hashem. That's our connection to the truth. That's our connection to Harasinai. It's really the umbilical cord of the Jewish people and the oxygen we breathe Without that connection, without the oxygen of Torah, so our spiritual side, our neshama, becomes weakened and is dominated by the body, by the physical. The physical world is very powerful and very enticing and 
uh, almost overwhelming. Unless we put in the fuel of spirituality, which is Torah, we won't be able to counter um, the physical uh, lure and seduction of the material world. And finally, we see living a life of shalom, living a life of peace, living a life of loving kindness and respect is something that um, the Hashem very much wants from us and something that we should implement in our lives. Great. So, um, there's something I wanted to share with you from this week's parsha. This week's parsha, in Baaloisacha, parsha's Baaloisacha, we see another fascinating lesson for the ages, for all time, and it's very much in line with what we've been saying. Uh, the world, we've all been through a, a difficult 17 months um, since the pandemic started, and Unfortunately, it's caused a lot of dislocation and a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, so much loss, so much trauma um, that COVID has brought to the entire world. And it's been a situation where we really haven't known what's going on. Nobody's known what's going on. All, with all of our great uh, advances and technological developments in the world, we were all absolutely clueless with COVID. And the experts were changing their minds all the time. And nobody knew how to deal with it. And nobody knew where it was going. And nobody knew what tomorrow would bring. And it was obviously very difficult for all of us to live through such times. And it was very inconvenient. Um, my son had his bar mitzvah during lockdown. My other son got married um, as we were just coming out of uh, level five of lockdown. And so, you know, we had to readjust our lives significantly as a result. Um, being a rabbi, the synagogues, my shul was closed, which was so devastating to me and to my community. And to all of us, we all experienced in our own lives um, the consequences of the lockdown and of COVID. Um, and the, the, I noticed that there were two primary ways that people have dealt with all of this uncertainty. Um, the one is people were angry and resentful and frustrated and uh, and almost uh, bitter about the situation because of the upheaval and unpredictability. And there were some people that I came across which took it in their stride and went with the, rolled with the punches and went with the flow and accepted that these things are beyond our control and they had a certain amount of tranquility, what we call in Hebrew, a certain amount of confidence and of satisfaction and of calm and peace in their approach. And these are two ways we could live our lives. When we come to the realization, as the Torah teaches us, that God controls the world, that God is the master of the universe, that God is omnipotent, and we know very little and we have no clue what tomorrow will bring and what, how situations may change and may, um, circumstances may be different, which are entirely out of our control. And when we accept that God is king and we, um, give ourselves the world, everything we can. Say God controls all 
had to do studies in every given area of our lives, put in 100% effort. But once we've put in that 100% effort, we realize that the result is out of our hands and the, the most of the circumstances in our lives are out of our hands. And we surrender that to Hashem. And we do so with a lev shalem, with a complete heart, with a sense of trust and understanding that God controls the world, that God doesn't do things in a vacuum, that things are not by coincidence, that everything we are all going through is part of our spiritual journey. And that's a lesson we learn actually from this week's Pasha. Because in this week's Pasha, we learn about the travels of Klai Yisrael in the desert. And the Klai Yisrael, um, the way they travel in the desert was in the day when there was a pillar of cloud that rested on the sanctuary. When it rose up and it moved forward, it was an edic- when it rose up, it indicated that people had to pack up the camp and move forward. They would follow the cloud. And at night, it was a pillar of fire. And when the Klaus rested, the cloud went back onto the sanctuary, onto the Mishkan. So sometimes Klaus would come to an encampment, a place where they were traveling, which was comfortable, which was convenient, which was a great place to stay. And they thought, oh, great, we're going to lay camp here and we can be here for a long time. And the next day, boom, the cloud rises and they got to keep moving. And sometimes they'd come to a place which was uncomfortable and which was not hospitable and which was a place they would want to move on from and the cloud stayed. Hashem was teaching them a lesson that there's certain things in life that are beyond our control and that we need to surrender them to Hashem. We need to realize God is running the world and we do our best as best we can, but we need to learn to, in our hearts, trust in Hashem. And even if we don't understand it, and even if it's difficult to us and we're going through uh, trauma and challenges, Hashem is doing it for our benefit. For our good, that's for sure. There's no question. There are opportunities for us to grow. And they are whatever we're going through is a tikkun for our neshama, is a rectification of our neshama, of our soul, and an opportunity to develop and grow. And we're supposed to be going through this in order to reach our perfection as human beings in this world. So that's a powerful lesson we learned from the travels of the Jews um, in the desert. And it's something that we should all incorporate in our lives and learn to surrender to Hashem, have trust in Hashem, and live a life not fighting and being resentful and angry, but rather trusting the process and trusting the Creator and going with it um, with a sense of optimism and a positivity. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. I want to end off talking a little bit about the situation in Israel. And we are so glad and grateful that there's a ceasefire and uh, the rockets are no longer uh, raining down on the cities of Israel. And it's so important that we have a healthy historical perspective because it helps us understand the situations and deal with the reality. Um, and it, it really is similar to the situation, similar to what happened in Europe in the 1930s. We see that uh, it's very fascinating that Winston Churchill was the only British politician that read Mein Kampf. As we know, Mein Kampf was written by Adolf Hitler. And in Mein Kampf, Hitler stated very openly and very clearly what his worldview was and what his intentions were 
and how he planned to achieve his goals. And Hitler, as we know, was a maniac, and he said that he would annihilate and exterminate the Jews. He would make Europe Judenrein free of Jews, and he spoke about how the Third Reich would dominate all of Europe and would conquer all of Europe. The other British politicians didn't read Mein Kampf and didn't take Hitler so seriously. And so when Hitler was engaged in aggressive activities in the 1930s, um, the different skirmishes that took place, so the general attitude of the British politicians was to appease Hitler and was to um, steer away from confronting him and was to, in order to prevent any direct uh, head-on confrontations. And that was their policy of appeasement. And with, you know, 2020 hindsight, we see what an absolute disaster that was and how many lives were lost because of those policies of appeasement. If they would have stood up to Hitler when he was weak, so many more people would have, many lives would have been saved and far less people would have died in World War Two. Um, but as a result of them turning a blind eye on Hitler's aggression and Hitler's goals, it resulted in strengthening him, allowing him to strengthen himself, and therefore the danger was much greater. As we saw, the destruction was much greater. Winston Churchill was the only one who took Hitler very seriously, and he understood his actions within the context of his broader worldview. He had read Mein Kampf, and he realized that Hitler actually wanted to dominate Europe and wouldn't stop with the you know Sudetenland and parts of Czechoslovakia and uh, Poland, but rather he would continue to expand the Iraq both on, in the west and in the east. And as a result, um, Hitler under, uh, Churchill understood what was happening and, and the great danger that, that Hitler was. And he realized that by appeasing him, you're only feeding the monster. And the larger the monster, the more hungry the monster is, the more, the more um, destruction and damage there will be in the world. And it's a similar situation in the Middle East. It's so important that we look at the situation with a healthy perspective and we look at the two sides in an honest and genuine way. And we see that, unfortunately, um, Israel is surrounded by many adversaries. Israel is one country. There are 42 Muslim countries in the Middle East. And the most of those Muslim countries are... Uh, focused on the destruction of Israel. Now, of course, the most recent um, skirmish, these terrible, terrible situations that's been happening in the last two weeks. So that was between Israel and Hamas. And Hamas, unprovoked. So we can talk for a long time about what happened in Sheikh Jara, and there was the um, the question of ownership of property. Um, it was just used as a preamble and as a um, reason to to attack Israel, but there was not a, a major attack. There the, the were eviction notices and property owners that were approved by the Supreme Court in a very fair and non-political way. And then the situation on the Temple Mount where um, the, there were rioters that attacked the police and the police then chased the rioters and they went inside Al-Aqsa. So that was used as a pretext to fire missiles on innocent cities, which is absolutely ridiculous. And... Um, there's, there's just no justification for that. And Israel then had its major urban centers having to absorb over 4,000 rockets. Imagine such a thing. Imagine rockets being flown, being shot into Johannesburg. Imagine uh, 
uh, Scotland firing rockets into into the into England or Mexico firing rockets into into Los Angeles, right? Any country that their civilians were are faced with such mortal danger um, has a moral obligation to defend its people. The government has a moral obligation to defend its people whose lives are in absolute danger. And so that's what has happened. And we have Hamas who's firing on civilians and targeting civilians. That's not the only war crime that they commit, but the Hamas fire from civilian areas. They specifically fire from heavily populated civilian areas. So Israel will retaliate and try and um, destroy these rocket um, launching areas that, that are firing on them, and there will be collateral damage. Unfortunately, Israel's strikes were are pinpoint. They are surgical strikes, and they aim in, not for civilians. They aim entirely for um, for Hamas and for the, the Hamas infrastructure that is attacking Israel. Um, but but unfortunately, since Hamas chooses to to operate from civilian areas, there are civilian casualties, which Israel does its utmost to prevent. Um, as uh, Colonel Richard Kemp said, Israel, the Israeli army itself is the most moral army in the world and in the history of the world. And then he knows from from very close uh, experience of being involved um, in in these kind of things. So it's important that we have a healthy perspective. We understand what's happening. And unfortunately, the way these things are projected and are, are um, presented in the world media are very, very biased and are very, very twisted. And the facts are, are totally um, distorted. And it's blatant anti-Semitism how the world media presents this situation, the struggle. And, you know, they presented that, that there's violence in the Middle East and Hamas is retaliating to Israel's, um, to Israel's aggression, but it's actually the opposite, the absolute opposite. And that uh, Israel targets civilians and Hamas are the, are the victims, but that also is the opposite. Is Hamas targets civilians and Israel tries to avoid civilians. But what is the world supposed to think when I mean, all they're seeing in the newspapers and on their, um, in the, on the TV screens is the innocent Palestinians getting, getting, you know, being victims in, in this terrible situation. So it's very important that we don't fall for that bias and we don't fall for, um, those distortions and we understand the reality of the situation. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. Nachum Begin said a very powerful thing. He said, if there's one lesson we learn from the Holocaust, that is that we should listen to our enemies when they say they want to destroy us. Hitler spoke very openly about him, about the destruction of the Jews and how he wanted to destroy the Jews. And uh, we should have listened carefully to that and seen that that's what he was planning to do. And we should learn from history and we should listen to what our enemies say. And so it's important that we listen to what Hamas has to say and what their plans are. And they're not shy about it. They're very open and they're very public about their view and their worldview and their intentions for Israel. Um, the Hamas Charter in, on August the 18th, 1988, uh, was a covenant of comprehensive, um, really the comprehensive manifesto 
there were 36 separate articles. So I'm going to read to you some excerpts just to get a, a, a basic insight into um, the organization of Hamas. So it says the goals of Hamas, or the Islamic resistance movement, is a distinguished Palestinian movement whose allegiance is to Allah and whose way of life is Islam. It strives to raise the banner of Allah over every inch of Palestine. That's article number six. So every inch means there's no space anymore for any Jews in Israel, very openly. The uh, preamble says Israel will exist and will continue ex to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as it obliterated others before it. So we see very clearly that the goal, and there are many more very clear statements by Hamas about what they want to do. They want to obliterate their words um, Israel, and they want to dominate every inch of Palestine. It's not just, you know, Gaza and uh, the Shtachim and uh, Yehuda V'Shomron, the West Bank, but it's all of Israel. And so it's so important that we understand that these are serious people, and they're very committed to their cause. Very important we understand what we're dealing with, we understand the goals, and the actions of Hamas very much carry out and are in sync with what their um, manifesto says, what their covenant says and so we need to act accordingly and um, anybody who's looking at the situation and who supports such an organization and doesn't condemn them so that's clear anti-semitism that you have an organization that wants to wipe out another organization wants to destroy a, another people wants to wipe out a people from a certain place in this world and will not uh, negotiate and will not find a compromise and will fire rockets into uh, cities where innocent people are. So, you, you know, it, nobody would stand for that anywhere else in the world. So why would we stand for it when it's happening to Israel? The answer is because it's anti-Semitism. It's clear and open anti-Semitism. And unfortunately, we've seen that the anti-Semitism, the ugly um, side of anti-Semitism showing itself throughout the world lately. And it's important, certainly, that as Jews, we understand the justice of our cause, we see the double standards and the anti-Semitism in the world, and we remain strong and loyal to our principles and our values. And, of course, we remain loyal to our covenant with God at Mount Sinai. Thank you so much for listening, and have a wonderful day.